Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Anita, for ministering the music. In light of the message of that song, which is the best translation of the Bible, I would venture to say it's the one that you allow to break you, the one that you are seeking to live in light of, the one that you're seeking to obey. We've been blessed in our country with many, many copies of Scripture, many translations of Scripture. And this morning we want to wrap up our discussion, at least in relation to Sunday mornings, on Bible translations. And keep in mind that the standard in Bible translation is not the New International Version, the King James Bible, the English Standard Bible, the New American Standard Bible, or the New King James Bible. To compare one translation with another, to determine if it is a good translation is not wise. No translation can be the standard. The standard should be the original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Thus, the question for any translation, is it faithful in communicating the meaning or the text of Scripture? I want to answer some questions this morning. First of all, is the NIV gender neutral? No. If you define gender, gender neutral as seeking to change Greek words for men, for males, to refer to people in general, it is not done. Secondly, no, it is not gender neutral if you define gender neutral as seeking to distort the clear distinction between male and females in any manner. The NIV is not gender neutral if you define gender neutral as seeking to change God being referred to as father, etc., to father or mother when the text clearly states father, he or him. No, the NIV 11 is not gender neutral if you define it as seeking to change the responsibilities or roles of men or women that are clearly stated in the text. The NIV is not gender neutral if you define it as giving into the feminist movement in relation to terms used in translating. The NIV 11 is gender neutral if you define it as translating terms that are referring to people in general or both male and females as translating it then as people, brothers and sisters and so on. So when the text of scripture refers to people in general, in some cases, it does not use men. It may use people in its place. From my limited point of view, it seems some of the battle over gender-neutral Bibles comes from comparing the NIV 11 with other English translations rather than the original languages. We read in one, and then we read in another and say they're not quite the same. What does the original say? Luke. 17, 1 through 4, and King James is on the wall. Then he said unto his disciples, It is possible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a mouse, millstone were hanged around his neck and cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. 
If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now we can get so caught up in the translation that we miss the passage. You know, we shouldn't be causing others to stumble, to sin. And if we do, we should be willing to admit it and go seek forgiveness or go to someone and rebuke them and then that person being willing to respond. Now let's look at the NIV 11, how it reads. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. It would be better for... I'm sorry. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against against you, rebuke him or rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, you will notice that some of the changes would come in words like anyone, they, them. And I will assure you that in the Greek, it is not referring to a male. It's referring to people in general. So for the NIV 11 to translate it in this way would be fine because they're not change, taking a male term and making it brother or sister or making it them. The passage is talking about if someone sins. No, this is what should be done. Another question, does the NIV use inclusive language? Inclusive language, as we're discussing this morning, means referring to people, brothers and sisters, persons, rather than he, men, brethren, or brothers, when the original language refers to people, brothers, sisters, and persons. Now, you get that? Inclusive language is if you use people, brothers and sisters, persons, rather than he, men, brethren, or brothers, when the original language is using people in general, or brothers and sisters. According to the above definition, the NIV does use inclusive language. Please understand that this is done where the original languages refer to people and so on, rather than to a man or a male. And also other translations do use inclusive languages. The New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible would use some inclusive language. And again, it's not changing gender when it's referring to men and women. They may use brethren, people, and so on. Inclusive language is not evil but rather seeking to display integrity in translating 
and adjusting to change to English language. And just keep that in mind. So someone is talking to Ruth Ann and I, and they say, him, to refer to both of us, rather than him and her. Why would they not use him and her, or, you know, talking about Dan and Ruth Ann, him and her, why would they just say him, you know, if they're including both of us? That's where it is coming from. Again, this seems to be an issue when NIV may use an inclusive term when compared with another translation, whether it be New King James, King James, or whatever. Remember, the original languages are the standard, not other translations. In John 14 and verse 6, the King James Version says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That means no woman, no child can come to the Father. Is that correct? No man may come to the Father. The Greek is actually saying, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing wrong with no man, not knocking that translation. I was coming in that day, but it's not referring to merely males. Now you say, why some of the change in terminology in some of your modern, more modern translations? This is a chart, a survey, a study that was done. It's called the Collins Report. And you will notice that they're referring to what is generally used. You know, quite a bit, quite a few people use people. <laughs> Fewer use men, humans is, no, there, and you see some of the others. Now, I want you to look at the next chart. This next chart is what the Collins report concluded concerning evangelical language. See, man is used much, much larger. People is used much smaller. Mankind, you know, is used smaller. So... The conclusion is that over a period of time, as language changes some, that the evangelical community is speaking over here when the average person in the world is speaking over here. You know, just a change in language. Well, some people say, well, then you're giving in to language change, and you might be giving in to the feminist movement and so on. Let me explain that. Here's a chart. If you go back to the start of the feminist movement, which goes back probably some 40 or 50 years. And some 40 years ago, it may have been a very big issue. But in the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a change in language. When you say, is that due to the big issue that may have been involved with the feminist movement? It may be to some extent, but language has changed, not only because of the feminist movement, but just because language changes, as we'll see with some other things I'll mention. So we are now living in 2012, translation being made, or the revised NIV 
being made in this time period. And what they have attempted to do is take some of the changes in language and adjust to it in light of our culture. Not to bend to any particular movement, but to live in light of the culture in which we're in. Now some translation facts. <clears throat> there is no perfect translation. That is exact as the original manuscripts. There is no perfect translation. God has preserved his word in written form. We have reliable Bible translations. I think the King James is a very reliable translation. Most translators, except a few cults, do not set out to have a distorted translation or one that is not correct in light of the original languages. If they did, their error or distortion would be very obvious quickly. People do not set out to have a faulty translation. Much of the concern over the NIV involves, I think, fear, not translation errors. I think the fear is engendered by saying what could happen in a future translation. I read one book and they say, well, this could happen, this could happen. Well, it didn't happen. Why are you saying could? Let's deal with reality. Making accusations or statements that are not true. Example, using the term gender neutral or inclusive language, but never defining the terms. And then also, I think, comparing it with another English translation rather than the original languages. And I made that statement because I have read some of the criticisms of some of the newer translations and they compare translations. They don't go back to original languages. Another statement, the translators of the NIV 11 did not set out to revise the NIV to be gender neutral as I defined earlier to use inclusive language or not in the original language, or to yield to the feminist movement. They did not do that. They state that very clearly in their preface. And I quote, the goal of the New International Version is to enable English-speaking people from around the world to read and hear God's eternal word in their own language. Our work as translators is motivated by our conviction that the Bible is God's word in written form. We believe that the Bible contains the divine answers to the deepest needs of humanity, sheds unique light in our past in a dark world, and sets forth the way to our eternal well-being. And I'll stop reading there. And again, you can read the preface they state what they're doing in their translation. The purpose of translations or translators of the NIV is clearly stated in the preface. We covered the preface on Sunday evening, April 15th. It's there. Read it if you want. If you find a passage in the NIV 11, which you think may be incorrect in light of gender neutral or incorrectly using inclusive language, give it to me. 
I'm willing to check it out and get back to you. Please recognize that what I've been saying, I've been sharing deals with my conclusions concerning the NIV 11. I'm not talking about the PNIV, which is today's New International Version, or the New International Version Inclusive, or the New International Reader's Version. I'm talking about the NIV 11 only. Please understand that. If someone claims the NIV 11 is gender neutral or language uses inclusive language, please gently ask them to define their terms. Also, ask them for specific passages where this occurs. Then ask them if their claim is based on another English translation or the original language. I emphasize that. So often we live in light of, I heard. What does the text say? In the original, and I realize you can't do that. Maybe Jason can and a couple of you could. But let someone check it out. Some of what may be heard on Bible translations is based on just that, hearsay. Check out the source. Years ago, I was accused of hating a group of people. That's what was going around, you know, that I hated a group of people. And, you know, they defined a particular group of people that I hated. And finally someone came to me and said, Pastor Dan, I hear you hate a group of people. Oh, I said, that's interesting. Where did you hear that? And they told me where they heard it. I said, uh, I don't hate those people. I said, here's the reality of how that got started. So they came to the source. And I'm saying, if you hear someone say, well, NIV 11 or some other translation says this, just simply say, show me a verse, give me a chapter, give me the verse, what translation are you using, I'll check it out. And if they say, well, I can't do that, I just heard. Well, then maybe I'm not willing to take it any further. No, be willing to check it out. On the lighter side, someone this week said they saw a car go by their place that looked like ours. And I was talking to the person, and the person said, did your wife go by in the car? It was really moving. <laughs> I said, no, it wasn't her. I know it wasn't her. But you see what could have happened? That person could have talked to someone else and say, you know, I saw Mrs. Pastor go by in her car and it was really moving and someone else says, I heard, I heard. And that's, you know, not good, whether it be one thing or another. Another question, does the NIV 11 dumb down the Bible? Let me rephrase the question. Does the NIV 11 change terms? Language, to make it easier to read by taking it from a college level to an eighth grade level of reading. 
and I'm just using college level versus eighth grade level, my answer would be, I don't think so. The changes that were made from the study is that 95% of the NIV 11 is the same as the 1984 edition. When changes were made, they were made because of changes in English, progress in scholarship, and concern for clarity. That's what the translators are saying they're doing. <clears throat> I'm only saying what they say. Thus, I would not say there's a dumbing down or trying to make the Bible simple. I'm going to use an illustration from the King James 1611. It's the King James 1611 in Matthew 1, 18 through 20. And I'm not going to read it, but I want you to notice the words, some of the words that are used, some of the spellings, and so on. Jesus, as an example, uh, child, public, privately, and so on. Now I want you to notice the King James. 1769, that if you use, that's the one you're probably using. Language changed between 1611 and 1769, so they made a few shifts. You know, I'm just talking in language itself. And spelling, etc. Now here's NIV 11. And again, you'll notice in some spots it would be worded somewhat different. <clears throat> Any translation which thinks a more modern translation will enable people to understand the Bible, thus less need for the Holy Spirit or Christ to work. There's something wrong if that is our thinking. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking to his disciples, preparing them for the time when he will not be on the earth. <clears throat> Begin with verse 5. Jesus says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, Where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But to tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Clearly a need for the Spirit of God to convict of guilt in relation to sin, righteousness, and judgment. We won't turn there, but you could turn to Second or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 16, which talks about 
the Spirit and His work as it relates to the believer. If you try to make the Bible simple, it's not going to change the need for the Spirit of God to work. A couple observations as we strive to wrap it up. There are good translations available today. King James, New International Version, 84. Holman Christian Standard. English Standard Version, New American Standard Bible. I think the new NIV or the NIV 11 is valid also. At times, if not frequently, individuals with strong, and I emphasize strong views in Bible translation, seem to lack the fruit of the Spirit in their relationships. This may be due to walking in a specific translation rather than walking in the Holy Spirit. I could take a very, very strong stand on the NIV and in the process not display the fruit of the Spirit. There's something wrong if I do that. It may also be a pet doctrine which becomes their focus, which results in losing perspective, thus walking in their doctrine rather than walking in the Holy Spirit. I have some pet peeves. And if I'm not careful, I can walk in them rather than in the Spirit. It may be a lack of balance in viewing or the view of walking or living in Christ. You can't focus in one area to the neglect of others and have a healthy relationship with God and Christ. So when I say strong view, I'm talking where it creates barriers and friction and so on among believers. The making of many Bible translations is not all good. I think there's also a downside that I sense is often being overlooked. These are thoughts that I have and share out of concern for Christianity and our local church. One of the downsides is we may think a modern translation will be easier to understand. Both by believers and non-believers in the process we downplay the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, if we just got an easier translation, they'll be able to understand the Bible. These teenagers will understand it and they'll apply it. We still need a work of the Spirit of God. Another downside, possible downside, is we depend on a translation rather than radically changing lives of believers through the gospel of Christ. We get an easier translation. Unbelievers will understand it easier and they might come to faith in Christ. But yet scripture talks about the fact that our radically changing lives are to be sought light and ambassadors. Now the Lord is the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Bill goes to work tomorrow and he's there on the job with some guys that really don't have any idea of who God is. 
And they say, we've known Bill for a number of months now, and there's something different about him than there was a couple months ago. wonder what that is. The radical changing through Christ. Another possible downside. We may think understanding the Bible is a core issue while neglecting obedience to Scripture. Just use a couple examples. The care of widows, care of orphans, hospitality, teaching your own children, praying, and so on. James 1 says, be you be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Selfishness. We devote so much time and money and effort to 5% of the people of the world, the U.S. Do we really need another translation when many parts of the world have no written scripture? I'm not knocking translations. But to be honest, I can weep over that. And I realize it's real. We have a lot of translations. And I'm not out to do anything with that. But do we really need another one? when there's so many parts of the world don't even have Scripture. And I've not heard of the written Scripture, Christ. We may run from church to church, concert to concert, book to book, worship style to worship style, program to program, but fail to stop, to stop and examine our own lives. Thus little confession Repentance and radical change from the inside out. I can use the NIV 11. I can use the NIV 84. I can use the King James. I can use the New American Standard Version. I can go to a different church that may have a different style of music or a different style of worship. I can go and find another book to read. But is Scripture transforming me? I think a downside is we, Scripture can become so commonplace to us that it's not radically changing us. It can also result in being demanding. Translations can be a curse. We develop a demanding mindset rather than a giving mindset. Give me something easy to understand that I can apply in my life rather than how can I reach out and go to another part of the world to translate Scripture into their language? It can become about us rather than about giving. As I conclude, and I know I said that a little bit ago, I don't have, normally do that too often. Our history, we began using the NIV back in the 1980s. We gave her reasons, and we used the NIV. We discussed the King James debate with facts, clear teaching, and research when it became necessary years ago when the 
whole King James issue was pretty much in the front burner. Many people for years have been using the NIV. We have the NIV as a pew Bible. Some may use King James, some may use New American Standard or English Standard Bible. That's fine. We have not made the issue or the Bible translation an issue. We want to be a people who is walking with God and Christ in dependency upon the Spirit. And later what I presented the last two weeks and this morning, I've done much, much research beyond what I presented. I'm not going to present it unless someone is interested. If any of you are really interested, we'll take a couple of Sundays in Sunday school just for those that are interested to discuss some other things. If you're interested, let me know. If not, that's fine. If no one is interested, that's fine. But if you're interested, let me know. So in light of the fact that the NIV 84 is no longer being in print, the elders and I think it'd be wise if we continue to use the NIV. So if you have an NIV 84, continue to use that. If you're going to get another Bible and would like to get the NIV 11, we think it's a reliable revision of the 84 in light of our research. And if for some reason something came up about the NIV 11 that we weren't aware of, then we'll deal with it at that point in time. So that's you know, where we are as a church. There's an evaluation of the 2011 edition of the New International Version by Rod Decker, a professor at Baptist Bible Seminary in Clark Summit, and I would say very knowledgeable of Greek when you agree, Jason. And I've had some conversations with him. And this is a portion of what he wrote. This is the conclusion of what he wrote. It's about 40, a little over 40 pages long, you know, typed if you were reading the whole thing. This is his conclusion on the NIV 11. There's copies available in the vestibule if you want to take a copy on the way home or the way out and read it and respond from there. So we'll continue to use the NIV. I have an NIV 84 at this point in time. That's what I'll continue to use. If you're updating a Bible and you're going to buy an NIV, you will not find the NIV 84. It will be the NIV 11. So understand that. 84 is no longer in print. Any questions as we wrap it up? If you have any along the way, don't be afraid to ask. Lord willing, we'll go back to a passage in Mark next Sunday morning. Let's pray together.